right. Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you to this edition of Bible News Radio. You know what? I am so happy that you're here with me today. And one of the things I want to say right off is to those of you who know me personally and you've had personal interaction with me and you're in any of the ministries that we do here at Heart Tug International, I want to say thank you. I want to thank you for supporting the show financially, for praying for us, and for, you know, all the ways that you share the show with your friends and stuff. You know what? We are kind of on the outskirts of, of Christian media um, because we dare to say things that a lot of people won't say, right? I mean, let's just be honest. <laughs> a lot of what I say... Uh, a lot of people won't want to hear, you know, I mean, they agree with me. Oh, you wouldn't believe some of the emails I get. Oh, you're so great. You do this, blah, blah, etc. But, you know, it takes courage to do what I do. And there, there are many of you, and you know who you are. I can't say who you are because I don't want to leave anybody out. But there are many of you who support what we do and you build me up behind the scenes. And I want to say thank you for that because it's been tough. You know what? When your life's work is being banned in places where it shouldn't be and your life's work is is being hidden on social media giant pages because they just don't like what you said, <laughs> you know, it can get discouraging to do what we do because, you know, I mean, nobody likes to be silenced. And, um, you know, I was recently told by someone that people want to be seen. Right. And I don't mean just like in doing a show or a program like this. In general, people want to be seen. You know, everybody needs to be validated. Everybody needs to be seen. Everybody needs to know that they're loved. And frankly, that's the underlying reason I do this because it's not because of me. It's not because of the politics. It's because of Christ. It's because of Jesus. Right. Jesus came to set the captives free. You know, he. He came in an amazing way, right? He came in a way that we didn't expect, just like what we were talking about last hour with my friend Tommy. You know, certain events in the world happen in a way that we don't expect. And sometimes when something happens in a way that we don't expect, those of us who are slight control freaks, and I'm not calling you out, but just saying, um, you know, we don't know what to do because... We can't control the world. <laughs> it's like, whatever. So, here's the thing. This episode, let me tell you, number one, you cannot control the world. Number two, you can control how you respond to the world, and you can control how you respond to Jesus and his word. And I, you know, my goal with this hour is to just give you some news. Maybe you haven't seen it yet, and we're just going to talk about it. Um, and, but first I want to open up with Psalm 94. I don't know how many of you have been reading the Psalms lately, but I've, I have, I've been reading through the book of Psalms again this year. Um, and the other day I was reading this Psalm and it really spoke to my heart. So I want to read this. This is in the new American standard 1995 version. It says here, O Lord, God of vengeance, by the way, yeah, just it's not very often we refer to God as God of uh, as the God of vengeance, but it says here, "O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth, rise up, O Judge of the earth, 
Render recompense to the proud. How long shall the wicked, O Lord, how long shall the wicked exalt? They pour forth words. They speak arrogantly. All who do wickedness vaunt themselves. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the orphans. Okay, I'm just going to stop just for a second. Does any of this sound like this is in the news lately? If you, if you don't know that this stuff is like literally from our news today, uh, this was prophesied years ago, but thousands of years ago. This is happening today. That's why I read this. Okay, verse 7. They have said, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob pay heed. Pay heed, you senseless among the people. And when will you understand, stupid ones? I love it. <laughs> I love this. He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who chastens the nations, will he not rebuke? Even he who teaches man knowledge. The Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are a mere breath. Blessed is the man whom you chasten, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, that you may grant him relief from the days of adversity until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not abandon his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. You should highlight that in your Bible if you haven't. For judgment will again be righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will stand up for me against evildoers? Who will take his stand for me against those who do wickedness? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have dwelt in the abode of silence. If I should say my foot has slipped, your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. Can a throne of destruction be allied with you, one which devises mischief by decree? Decree, rather. They band themselves together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has been my stronghold, my rock, and my rock, the God of my refuge, he has brought back their wickedness upon them and will destroy them in their evil. The Lord, our God, will destroy them. That's my God. I don't know who your God is. <laughs> but my God is a God of power, of justice, of holiness, of righteousness, of unconditional love. Um, he is a God who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, you know, the psalmist here, we don't know who it was. I don't, I don't think it says the Psalm of David, but I'm not sure who wrote this. But what I do know is that whoever wrote this was inspired by the Lord, and um, he actually understood that God could take care of his enemies. In the midst of a wicked and perverse generation where people are being told you know, murder orphans and, you know, slay widows, you know, uh, let's just plum, you know, plum, 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 I'm trying to think of the right word. <laughs> hey, I know I'm trying to be passionate, but sometimes my words just get messed up, people, just so you know. Pillage, that's the word I was looking for. Pillage the people, right? 
um, and come against the wicked, um, you know. But you know what? God sees. And I think what really stood out to, to me in this in this thing was verse 9 where it says here, he who planted the ear, does he not hear? I mean, this this really speaks to the hubris, or hubris rather, and the arrogance of of God's enemies. They think that God doesn't see what they're doing. He, they think that God doesn't hear what they're saying about him. They think that God doesn't have the power to overcome them, right? I mean, they're so stupid. Literally, it says that. Literally says they're stupid. In verse 8, pay heed, you senseless among the people, and when will you understand, stupid ones? I mean, <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And so I, I find a lot of vindication in this psalm because here's a guy that gets it. He's like, this is what's going on. Look what's going on. And yet you are so stupid that you actually don't think at some point God's going to pay you back. And ultimately, God is going to pay you. Pay, God will pay the wicked back. So if I, if I give you one encouraging word today, depending on where you're at in your life, and there's a lot of us out here who, are, who have been victims of wickedness, okay? I'm just going to say it. I was. You know, thank God he made me who I am and gave me the wisdom to go down the recovery route I have. But you know what? There are people every single day who are oppressing the widows, killing orphans, killing babies, murdering people, ripping people off, you know, blowing people up. They're, they're, they're evildoers in the truest sense of the term evildoer, and they have no fear of God. But I will tell you, in the book of Hebrews, we are warned that it is appointed unto man once to die, and then after that, the judgment. What judgment? Well, the judgment that we're going to get when we stand in front of the holy judge of all. That's real, people. It's not a fake thing, right? God is going to avenge those, you know, he's, he's, he is the ultimate avenger. <laughs> I want to talk about the avenger movie, but, you know, the Lord is the avenger. He will repay evil in his time. Read the book of Revelation. It's a very powerful book. It's also a very encouraging book if you read it. <coughs> Excuse me. So I want you to go read Psalm 94 on your own again. Get to highlight some words. Highlight keywords, you know. Highlight God. References to God in there. <laughs> and, uh, it, and, you know, anything else God shows you. Just feel free to do that little observation worksheet on Psalm 94. I think you'll, you'll get a lot out of that. All right, so um, my cat is meowing. He's making lots of noise. I'm not sure why that is. Uh, but anyway, Randall, I just thought of something, and I know this is kind of um, um, kind of off the cup. You remember that article I sent you earlier this week? That, Which the, one? The, col the, col the one about the Bible that that oh, guy yeah. wrote. I thought that was kind of the lead story Good. for this hour. Good. Let's get that up because – or. I need to find it. I need to go into my messages because I just remembered it. Um, yeah. Okay. So this week I found this article. It was written on a Baptist website, right? Okay. And I'm technically a Baptist. I belong to a Baptist church. Um, but Randall and I, I sent it to Randall right away. And I said, you know what? We really need to um, talk about this on the show. Um. Okay, and we're going to, because Randall's going to get on here, and we're going to talk about this together. And the reason I bring this up is because you would think 
that this article would not be on baptistnews.com after you read after I read this to you. And we're going to read it slow. We're going to go through it slow because it's according to the, the reader monitor up there. It's going to take 9 to 11 minutes to read this thing. But <clears throat> if you don't think what God's word says is true, then you shouldn't be handling it, in my opinion. <laughs> Listen to this. It's titled, Jesus, Not the Bible, is the Word of God. It's written by a guy named Terry Austin. Um, and it's an opinion piece. But this is an opinion piece put on baptistnews.com. Okay? Like, again, I said I go to a Baptist church. I'm a member of a Baptist church. I don't really, you know, identify myself really with any denomination. I'm a disciple first. But this is chilling. And, Randall, as I read this, I'll, you know, feel free to jump in anytime and comment. Okay. So Terry writes this. He writes, like many Christians, I strive to read the Bible every day. Well, first of all, I want to say not a whole lot of Christians actually do that. That's a misnomer right from the start. Many, not most. Right, I would say, but, you know, not a lot of Christians read the Bible every day. But anyway, he says, however, I admit frequent failures and that I'm not as diligent as in times past. I remember the first time I set out to read the entire book from Genesis to Revelation. I was working the graveyard shift as a police dispatcher, and there usually was a lot of downtime after 3 in the morning. I carried my... Bible with me and read during those stretches and finished in a few months. When I was a pastor, this is why I'm reading this. When I was a pastor, I tried to read through the entire Bible every year, not always successfully. I've given the Bible a lot of influence in my life, but not nearly as much as some. I don't worship the Bible. Many Christians, or should I say, quote, most, unquote, Christians, have the opinion that the Bible is, quote, the word of God, unquote. And let me say up front, the Bible is not the word of God. Now, right here, if you're going, what the heck is this guy talking about? You know, uh, we'll see how his illogical reasoning bears out here. But, but you can even see a picture of this goofball. All right. Anyway, it says here, in the familiar, familiar opening words of the Gospel of John, the identification of Jesus as the Word of God is clearly laid out. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There is no way those words apply to a book. Later, John adds, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then he describes how John the evangelist baptizing people in the wilderness made it clear that Jesus is the word of God. When you read the Bible with this perspective, you will find that it makes much more sense. Every time you come across the phrase, quote, word of God, or, quote, God's word, substitute Jesus. And this is what he's doing here now. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God and in parentheses, Jesus, is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Psalm 119, 105, your word, Jesus, is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Luke eleven twenty eight. he replied, blessed are those who hear the word of God, Jesus, and obey it. Huh. Is Jesus and it? Just curious, people. Would you call Jesus in it? I personally wouldn't call Jesus in it, but that's just, you know, me. Psalm 33, 4. For the word of the Lord Jesus is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. 
James 121, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word Jesus planted in you, which can save you. All right. Bareface, do you have any comments yet? Too many. Um, That's okay. Let's do it. Just give the comment. Okay. Hold on here. Um, okay, hold on, people. Uh, I need to. All right. Well, <laughs> now I don't, I don't disagree <laughs> that Yeshua, Jesus, is the living word of God. Uh, and it, and it is the, the familiar opening words of John's gospel. They're clearly referring to Yeshua, uh, and especially in his pre-incarnate state is the eternal word of God, the, um, you know, and we won't get into rabbinical teaching about, uh, the word of God, um, Imra in Hebrew, Memra in Aramaic, but, you know, but basically, um, yes, Yeshua, Jesus, is that word of God. Um, that, And we could look at so many Old Testament passages, as well as new, uh, giving that identity he, that he's the express image of God, the agent of creation, etc. So yes, the familiar opening words, yeah, obviously talking the word of God is referring to the person or the, the Messiah, the incarnate um, son of God. But it's interesting. Um, wasn't mine. That was oh, that's <laughs> a notification from Brave. All right. So... <laughs> I gotta mute my phone. I'll do that right now. There we go. Um, but then his assertion that all these passages in what most Bible-believing Christians would call the written word of God, the the oracles of God, as Paul calls them, uh, you know, the revelations of God, the the, the speeches of God, the the, the the words of God is uh, the idea of the the or the orations of God. I'm trying to mm-hmm. kind of dissect the Greek word that Paul uses. It's often translated oracles in Romans chapter three when he says, "What advantage then is being a Jew? Uh, much and everywhere, chiefly to them were granted or gifted the oracles of God." And the idea there is not just ideas. But uh, um, revelate revealed speech anyway. So and so those things that the other New Testaments wrote about, New Testament writers wrote about Hebrews four twelve. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any. Not talking about Jesus. If you read in context, <laughs> Hebrews, uh, which probably quotes more of the Old Testament than any other New Testament book. Um, and as you pointed out, both there and in Luke eleven twenty eight, when Yeshua himself said, blessed those who hear the word of God and obey it, uh, the pronouns there in Greek are neuter. Uh, it's odd to refer to a person, you know, rather than masculine or feminine, feminine neuter is never used of a person. Um, anyway, and it's clear and, <laughs> and Yeshua himself 
you know, I think about those red letters, you know, if you're a red letter mm-hmm. Christian, uh, those red letters, about 70% of them are either direct Old Testament quotations or allusions to uh, something in the Old Testament. And I think of Luke chapter 24, uh, Yeshua on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples, Cleopas and the other one whose name we don't get, you know, in beginning with Moses and in, in all the prophets and in all the writings, the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, the, all of the Tanakh, he showed them, revealed him those, the, those things concerning himself. Um, yeah, so the, the written word of God reveals quite a bit about the, the, the living word of God the incarnate word of God. Right. But to say we can, they're equally interchangeable <laughs> is, um, is, is not quite, um, yeah. is not quite firmly established. And then it's, it gets kind of laughable, but scary as it goes on yeah. uh, to de-emphasize, um, so let's the word which he quotes. So anyway, so, so let's keep reading. So he goes on uh, to say that raises the question. If the Bible is not the word of God, what is the Bible? Just so you know, the Bible is the word of God, <laughs> but this former pastor is saying it's not. But anyway, so he says, let me begin by saying the Bible makes Christianity and Judaism different from all other major religions of the world. Buddhism and Hinduism do not have sacred texts that guide their belief and actions. Islam has Islam has the Quran, but it is significantly different from the Bible. It was written by one man over a short period of time, 20 years in the 7th century. Mormonism uses the Bible along with the sacred book of Mormon, written by one man in the 19th century. <laughs> Can you hear our lawn guy? Although he claims the book was written much earlier and given to him. Okay. So I ha- I take umbrage with the fact that he calls the Book of Mormon sacred, number one. That really bothers me because it's anything but. We could go on to that well, in another show. Well, they call it that. To them, it's a sacred text. Okay. Just as he refers to, you know, you know having a... Um, having a you know text that's set apart as looked upon as you know well it's sacred it's it's set apart and you know this is buddhism and hinduism don't have sacred texts he's calling not an existent text sacred the idea that there's a one text for that belief system says you find it in buddhism and hinduism uh, i, I kind of differ on that hinduism has the bhagavad Vita, but it's not viewed quite the same way. Anyway, let's let's not get into world religions and just get back to the story. Anyway, I'm just defending. So sacred text, I think he's giving honor to the Book of Mormon. Just say that it is honored, right? In that religious system. Okay, Judaism and Christianity are similar when it comes to sacred writings. In fact, Christianity incorporates the writings of Judaism into its Bible as the Old Testament to go along with the New Testament. However, the composition of both the Old and New Testaments is similar. 
They are both collections of material composed over a long period of time written by a plethora of authors. I don't think any of the biblical writers thought they were writing God's words. And he supposedly read it? Go on. Instead, they were writing what they knew, what they heard, what they experienced about God. The Bible is a collection of words about God, not a collection of God's words to us. Can you hear the snake rattle? Oh. It's more of a hiss than a rattle, but Okay, whatever. I don't know how to do a how do I do a rattle? I don't know. I'm going to read that again. The Bible is a collection of words about God, not a collection of God's words to us. That's what this pastor thinks, okay? We don't know who wrote down the words of Scripture. Historically, names have been ascribed to various books and portions, but we know they are inaccurate. We know. How do, how they, how do we know? How do we know they're inaccurate? Think, think about <clears throat> All right. I gotta, okay. I've got to interject here. Go ahead. Okay. All right. The harps are on a mission here. <laughs> Let, let's, let's dissect this one sentence okay. here, and I'll, I'll put it back up. I'll take um, a drink of water while you're doing that. Okay. Um, oh, I guess I'll put my photo up since I'm talking. Let's let's look at this one sentence. Let's break this down. Okay, we we don't know who wrote down the words of scripture. All right, that's that's an emphatic assertion. It's a, it's a statement of truth. We do not know. We do not know who wrote down the words of scripture. Okay. Let's take that, all right? Let's say we don't know. Historically, names have been ascribed to various books and portions, but we know they are inaccurate. Okay, you just said we don't know who wrote them, but we know if there's names ascribed to certain books and portions, we know they're inaccurate. Well, if you don't know who wrote, if we, if we don't know who wrote the words of Scripture, then we don't know if Daniel was really written by Daniel or it wasn't. Because we don't know that we don't know, but we do know that the names that are ascribed are, are inaccurate. That that's that's totally incoherent. It's like, um, I, you know, I, you know, you know, I don't, I don't know who made Grover sausage this morning. I wasn't there to see it. I but. did. I made him sausage. Well, I, well I, <laughs> I heated it up. I put it on a paper plate so he could eat it. I, I know it wasn't you. I know. Because I wasn't there to see it. I know for a fact it wasn't you. Even though I just said I did it. I, <laughs> right. It's just saying we don't know. And then a suggestion is offered. Well, that's not right. Well, how do you know? You just said you didn't know. You're saying you have no idea who did write down the screen words of scripture but you can also say emphatically who didn't <laughs> you know what you hear what i'm saying it just it's just logically that's why, that's why i gave you this article to look it, at. it's just logically incoherent and um yeah and the fact that i don't think any of the writers knew that they were writing god's words it, do you think he's, that he's do you think that through at do least you think once. that Moses knew he was writing the Ten Commandments when he wrote them? Because God said, "Hey, I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments." Yeah, but he didn't know. He, you know, he was writing <laughs> what he what he knew. He just made them up. He already knew them, and he was just ascribe. 
And we could talk about Peter, you know, no prophecy is any private interpretation, but, you know, godly men were moved to the Holy Spirit to, you know, and, and like going back to Romans chapter three, what advantage is the Jew much chiefly, in every, you know, in much in every way, because chiefly them were granted, gifted. I'm not, I've got several translations going in my head, but just knowing what the Greek says, and I'm not a Greek scholar. Hey, we need to get through this, though. Anyway, Paul says the oracles of God. And look up that word, what the oracles means. It's not they were writing things that they knew about God or thought what they experienced, but the, it comes upon, just like going to the Greek temples, talk about the oracle of that Delphi, of Apollo. The, it was the same, a divine revelation uh, through, uh, you know, the, the very words of. Anyway, so, back Randall's to you. Randall's rant. Yeah. Bare faces. I'm going to think of a B word for that. But anyway, Bible knowledge. I don't know. Okay, anyway. For example, many people claim Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which I have all read this year, by the way. I just finished Numbers this morning. I was so excited. Anyway. Uh, it is hard for that to be true since a description of Moses' death is contained in those writings. A few books of the Bible claim to have been written by a specific individual. Others were named after a likely individual, and others are simply unknown. Okay, Bareface, how would you answer the attack here that, you know, that this guy is claiming? Um, this is so easy to refute, but how would you, how would you, I'll, I want to see how you would answer it, and I'll tell you how I would answer it. That oh. Moses' death was recorded, so therefore Moses couldn't have written Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, right. and Deuteronomy. And I'm sure, I don't know any of the top of my head, but I'm sure you can go into a public library and find an autobiography, uh, maybe of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, and then in that book, it will talk <clears throat> about his, his birth and his death. Uh, and then you're like, well, wait a second. It, it can't be his words because, you know, it records Lincoln's death in there. And this was published after he died. So they can't, it's, so, so any of the words attributed to him can't actually be him since his death is, re, you know, can't, can't Moses have written all but the record of his death? It's like because his death is contained in it, we have to throw a whole the whole books out as is you know is being authored by him. That's 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 ridiculous. And then uh um yeah, uh yeah, let's that's the one he listed specifically. The other was a general, so right. we'll, we'll we'll go with that. Okay. Yeah, and I would say that, you know, he probably um, whoever, you know, quoted the books, there was numerous scribes who wrote stuff down, but maybe Moses just quoted the book and after whoever the scribe was that was writing what Moses said, did it. Oh, and by the way, Moses died. <laughs> just so you know. Anyway. Okay. The Bible was written by humans who took the occasion to put down on paper or parchment or whatever they used at the time, their experiences with God. The experiences were varied for many reasons. They happened at different times to people with different personalities and interests. Sometimes they are consistent with one another, but often they are in conflict. 
The early chapters of Genesis contain two versions of the creation stories. I love this. This is oh, so... True. This... Okay, I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to say something first, then you can say something. All right. Okay. <laughs> I love... This is so... I am not a Bible scholar, but even this is easy to review. Okay. The early chapters of Genesis contain two versions of the creation stories. At different times, God instructs people to destroy all the enemy, and other times, God tells them not to. It seems God wanted Saul to be the king, except when God didn't intend for the nation to have a king. The list of inconsistencies found throughout the Bible is long. You find them even in the New Testament. After being baptized, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. Yet three days later, or three days after his baptism, Jesus was at a wedding in Cana. All right. And then he says, in order to keep the Bible from contradicting itself, scholars have used a lot of ink along with some creative reasoning to explain how these are not inconsistencies. They feel compelled to do this because to believe the Bible is God's word, it must not contradict itself. Never, God never would say one thing and then later say something else. Scholars have even arrived at the point of arguing that the Bible is without error in the original documents, which he puts in quotes, which, of course, we don't have and never will. Whew. That was close. Now, it's okay if the Bible contradicts itself. We can blame the scribes who came up along throughout history and made copies. Uh, someone made a tiny mistake, and after being copied and recopied countless times, some mistakes became large. But that's okay. God's word was perfect when given. Humans messed it up. All right. Well, I'm a girl. Okay. <laughs> a, a highly educated one, I might add. Um <laughs> And, and I'm like, how elementary is this guy in his attack here on, quote, the inconsistencies in Scripture? I'll throw out two points. Okay, let's just say for sake of argument, the Bible is filled with inconsistencies. It has lots of inconsistencies. It's just so many. Okay? Um, what percentage of inconsistencies do these liberal or non-Bible believing scholars actually believe are inconsistencies. It's very little people. It's very little. I mean, it's just so minute. It's ridiculous how little it is. And yet these people like to throw stuff out like, Oh, well this is inconsistent. And he actually listed some of the things that people have given as reasons, right? But he's missing the forest for the trees here. He's not seeing clearly, clearly he's not seeing clearly, because a child can understand God's word. <laughs> and when you come across so-called inconsistencies, like the Genesis account, right? I mean, this is so simple to answer that. There's two versions of the creation story. Okay. And, okay, so it's like, well, there's four Gospels. Okay, so Warner Wallace, J. Warner Wallace, who is a Christian apologist, who is a crime scene investigator, has been a guest on my show. He's actually a friend of mine. Had him on my show numerous times to talk about his book, Being a Detective, right? So if, and last night, this is so cute, I will tell you, last night I was teaching Psalm 119, the best stanza, and my friend had her daughter come in to the, um, 
to the Bible study. And her daughter is seven, I think, seven or eight. She's a little girl. She's so cute. And we were talking about um, how the psalmist says in Psalm 119, Thou word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then he sought the Lord with all of his heart, right? That was one of the things that we were pulling out in that text was that he sought the Lord. So I asked the little girl, I said, so if you were going to be a detective, what would you do? And right out of the mouth of this little girl, she goes, oh, that's so easy. I would look for clues. And then I would try to figure out what the clues are. And then I would solve the mystery. And I'm like, there you go. Good job. So Two versions of the creation stories. Okay, why why do you think there's two versions? Okay, well, you ever heard of an overview? Did you ever hear of an overview of, of something and then they break it down? Yeah, uh, the Gospels, you know. Um, okay, yeah, there's four eyewitness accounts written in book form. So you got four different eyewitnesses sharing different perspectives about the life of Christ. There's no inconsistencies. It's just a different perspective, you know. It's, it's like taking a diamond and, um, you know, you hold it up. I, I thought I had one over here. I thought I had a, um object here. But anyway, it's like taking that, you hold it up to the light, you see a different facet of it. It's no big deal. Uh, God wants Saul to be king, except when God didn't intend for the nation to have a king. Well, did the guy even read the book? Did he, does he even know the context of that, where the people were begging for a king? Okay, so God said, all right. Right. And here's the instructions. Here's what's going to happen as a result. And the people were not ultimately happy at the end of that, by the way. But anyway, I could go on. But Randall, you have any additional thoughts on that? Well, I I don't want to take up this whole hour de- I don't, deconstructing I, this article. I don't mind. I mean, we're almost. We, okay, oh. we don't have to de- deconstruct the whole thing, but, you know, this is but, important because this type of baloney is out there, and Christians are are yeah. facing stuff like this. When they read this, yeah. they're like, oh, their faith is shaken because they don't know how to answer these objections that this guy is throwing right. here. And I could see if this guy was, um, you know, just a, uh, you know, lay, lay heathen. You know, who's heard these old and tired <laughs> arguments. A lay heathen. I like that. I'm going to write know, that down. Well, he's not, you know, he's not. Are uh, you a lay heathen? <laughs> I mean, he's not, you know, in a, you know, I'm assuming not a university academic. Or Randall's a, keyword here, lay heathen. Or, you know, just a lay person, uh, you know, a secular lay person. Uh, you know, who's heard the old tired arguments. Well, there's two accounts of creation in Genesis. But he says, as a pastor, when I, fortunately, he's not a pastor anymore. He says, when I was a pastor, Thank and God you dis- a pastor disappeared. I was uh, going to mention this. This is like a weight. This is a paperweight diamond. But it's like, if you were to look at this and just look at the scripture and, you know, look at the, the various facets of it. <laughs> How hard is that, people? I mean, really? Oops. I just dropped a diamond. It's a heavy diamond. Anyway. I don't even know where I got this. Randall's but, didn't give me a ring this big. Right. 
Anyway, it's not uncommon, even in our culture, to give a summary of something and then to fill in the details. Oh, I just got back from vacation in Tahiti. Oh, how was it? Well, on the first day, you know, blah, 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 blah. I mean, but if you're familiar with the Old Testament at all and, and Hebrew writing... Uh, it's very common. Uh, you look at the books of, you know, Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, um, is to give an overview of so-and-so was born and he died and he reigned, blah, blah, blah. Now let's get into the details of his reign and this figure, blah, blah, blah. And Genesis is no different. It's like, here's, here's the grand overall summary. Here's the Reader's Digest version. And now we're going to break down, you know, the day kind of the some of the details about you know we went from you know we went to chapter where we've gone from there was nothing and to the earth was you know fill the earth and populate there's there's human beings it's like okay now let's rewind a little bit and go specifically to creation of the human beings and I, that part of it drilled down in detail it's that that motif that summary then detail about a portion of the summary is is throughout uh, the Hebrew scriptures, and and you know to say oh well the third day and one well gospel he's in the desert for forty days and John doesn't record Jesus baptism and doesn't um uh, uh the 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 Baptist John John the Immerser talks about the identity you know god told me that the one in whom you see the spirit come you know when you baptize water is the one and you know i bear witness and then and then it talks about so that's like a done deal that baptism already happened this is some days later 40 plus days later he sees jesus walking he says behold the lamb of god and then he says then on the next day he called philip and then on the third day they're at this wedding it's, it's from that point it, it says nothing like immediately after his baptism he went to this wedding or three days later to, to say that to conflate the two and is saying well you know this gospel says after his baptism and he was in the wilderness for 40 days and well this he's three days later he's a wedding there he can right the one doesn't <clears throat> even talk about the baptism except in a in a in a retro sort of way something that John the Baptist had witnessed. And so to conflate the two as if they're parallel timelines is anyway. Okay, like I say, if it was just anybody like, okay, all right, you, you didn't read carefully, but horrors, <laughs> this man was a pastor and, a, and apparently in a Baptist church. I don't know, but, um, uh, let's continue in the article. Let's do so he goes on to say, even if I accept that reasoning, how does that help me? If the Bible is God's word, but we no longer have large portions of that word, it feels mm -hmm. like we might be missing something important. I guess you could say that God made sure we preserve the important parts, but now you're just guessing. There's no way to know that. Like, what the heck is he talking about? I don't know. There has to be a better way when trying to make the Bible into something it's not. Remember, you're watching Bible News Radio. <laughs> That's why this is so important. Rather than being God's word to humans, the Bible is human words about God. 
The Bible is a collection of writings produced over time by men and probably not women, sadly. They recorded their experiences of God and what that taught them about God. I'm not saying their writings are not different than any of the dozens of books I've written over the years. They are vastly different. Paul understood this when he wrote, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16 The phrase, inspired by God, and he puts that in quotes to, to you podcast listeners, is one word in the Greek language and means God-breathed. It means that scripture is God's breath. As the author was putting pen to paper, God was breathing on the process. It doesn't say God dictated or spoke. God breathed. I'm not sure what that means or how much it, it impacted the final words, but it does make them special, unlike anything you and I have ever produced. A further consideration is that God's people have agreed that these documents are unique and deserve special consideration over the centuries. History records the arduous task of finding a consensus of which writings were God-breathed and which were not. No one, not even me, is considering that any of my writing is God-breathed. Clearly That's it's not. That's for sure. <laughs> I think I've gone far enough that I can now explain what I believe about the Bible. It's a collection of men's, again, it's a shame we have no women, experiences history. with God and what it meant to them. As they gathered these experiences and the teaching passed down to them from others, it all was lumped together with community legends and folklore and put together with the breath of God. In other words, Scripture is not God's word. It is men's words about God. This is the third time he said that, by the way. Oh, it's clear. It's his point. All this material woven together by God over the centuries was further edited by the usage of people until church leaders eventually got together, debated, voted, and declared, this is the Bible. By the way, it is still being edited. When was the last time you took a deep dive into the Song of Solomon? How often do you read the book of Jude? Actually, I read the Song of Solomon earlier this year, and I also read the book of Jude and studied the book of Jude and taught the book of Jude numerous times. The next time you start to do something because you think it's what the Bible says. Stop and ask yourself, is this consistent with what I know about Jesus? In other words, if my life shows little resemblance to how Jesus lived, then I might be listening to the wrong word of God. Terry Austin says this, says from his first day of life, he was taught to love the church. He has lived out that passion in various ways as a pastor, church consultant, author, and critic. He is currently a full-time writer and book publisher and actively engaged with house churches, which is actually kind of scary. I have one question for Terry Austin. <sighs> well, several, but yeah, he asked the question, is this consistent with what I know about Jesus? And my question to him is, uh, what does he know about Jesus? That's not written in the word of God. Exactly. What is his source for knowledge of Jesus? Tacitus, Suetonius. It's Josephus, don't you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, All Jewish historians. And, and Pliny and Polycarp, etc. cetera. Uh, we, could, we could go on about extra biblical uh, recording of Jesus. But, you know, it, you know, he's not... Notice the tactic here. It's not to say, uh, this is a bunch of junk and we need to discard it. It's like, yeah, it's valuable, but it's not what you think it is. I mean, how is this any different than Genesis chapter 3? Has God really said you shall not eat of every 
Or has God really said you shall not eat of every tree? Has God not said? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's like a half truth in there. It's like, well, he didn't. He said you could eat of every tree but one. But you could look at that from the a negative side, cast you know doubt on it, and say he's he said you can't eat of every tree. Yeah, that's talking about pessimistic view. So you can have everything but this. Oh, I can't have everything then? <laughs> well, okay, that's... All or te- nothing. Technically, yeah, but that's a very pessimistic view. So he's 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 putting out, well, it, it's special. The, the Bible is special. I could never write anything like this. Neither you or I could, but it's it's still, it's not all that, you know? Uh, what's more important is our experience. They wrote about their experience, and we need to test things by our experience. And it becomes an experiential faith. Uh, in other words, a motive. You know, there there isn't a there isn't an external measurement. There isn't an external standard. Uh, by which we can measure the the truth of our faith. It comes down to our personal experience. And I think that why Peter was so adamant about observing, and I can't point you to uh, the chapter and verse, 2 Peter, that, that no prophecy is of any private interpretation. I think that's what the old King James says. Mm-hmm. But the idea that this this wasn't just for their own ear experience uh in fact they you know they were moved of god not for themselves it wasn't for their own experience it was for us the readers and 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 the followers of god and um and he's clear to say and i love it um peter also writes he talks about um his experience and the experience of james and john on on the the mount of transfiguration he says we heard this voice we're not he says we didn't we're not following cleverly devised fables, but, but we heard this voice on the mountain you know, that said, this is my beloved son, hear him. We had this encounter with God, and it's like, but he doesn't stop there. With that experience, this voice from heaven, seeing Jesus fan- transfigured, he says, we have a more sure word. Speaking of the written word of God, prophecy, it's like we had this encounter with the living God. This is, and I mean, we're not making this stuff up. Uh, this isn't cleverly devised fable. We had direct revelation from the God Bible, mm-hmm. but we have a more sure word. Right. The, that one that's been written and existed for centuries at the time. The Peter would put that emphasis. We had this personal experience and revelation of, you know, God incarnate and a voice from heaven. You know, and that's convincing. We're not making this stuff up, but we've got a more sure word. You know, every don't take just what we're saying, our experiences with Yeshua, with Messiah, not we're just what we're writing about our experiences with him. Look at, you know, look at what's in the Old Testament. If you want to really know about the Messiah and who he is, his character and his purpose, don't go by our experience, even though we're writing about our experience with walking with him for these years. 
there's more to it. And that's why Yeshua, again, the road to Emmaus, uh, you know, expounded them beginning with Moses and all the prophets, you know, and all the writings, the things concerning himself. He didn't say, think about your experience in the last two weeks. Think about your experience with me in the last year. Think about, you know, he, <laughs> Jesus himself, who could point to everything he's done and said about his character, chooses to go to the written word of God and expound things about himself. Just, you know, put that in your pipe and smoke it for a bit. You just <sighs> listened to Bear Faces Bullhorn. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a while to come up with that. But anyway, okay, so... That was one long article, but it was an opinion piece that I felt needed to be addressed because this type of baloney is out there all over the place. Um, hmm? um, hit the wrong button. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> if you've watched this far, thank you for watching. Um, I have to tell you um, that, you know, having our show struck on, on YouTube has decreased our audience <laughs> even today. Uh, but Lord willing, we'll be able to get the the, the show up on YouTube after tomorrow because our, our strike will be our, our strike. They punished us for talking about the vaccine. OK, and um, <laughs> so sad. But anyway, watch the first hour with Pastor Tommy and then you'll see what we talked about. Um, but I want to I want to look at because um, this show is almost over. I do want to bring up one article, and that is the Harbinger's Daily article. Which one? The Dem surrender to anti-Semitic okay. left remove Israel's Iron Dome funding before the passing of the 2022 budget. Um, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but basically it says here, far left legislatures pressured House Democrats in the United States to remove a provision in the 2022 budget bill providing $1 billion in funding to replenish Israel's Iron Dome. After the funding from Israel was removed, H.R. 5305 passed the House of Representatives in a 220 to 211 vote late Tuesday night. The Jewish state's Iron Dome is designed to protect Israeli citizens and communities from incoming rocket attacks. Earlier this year, the Iron Dome system guarded civilians against 4,300 rockets fired by Hamas and other Gaza terrorist organizations. The highly effective system destroyed 90% of the missiles fired toward populated areas, including Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, according to the Israeli military. I'm not going to read the rest. If you want, you can go over to harbingersdaily.com and look that up. But I will say here, um, Amir Sarfati of Behold Israel stated that although some are attempting to make the move appear to be a technicality, when you get down to brass tacks, the move is plainly anti-Israel. Everybody says it's technical reasons, but what we know is that the woke progressive liberal Democrats demanded that help for Israel not be included in the coming bill of budget of the United States for the coming year. Uh, and anyway, it says here, anti-Semitic influence of radical members. This is referring to the Democrats in our government. Pelosi was pressured to remove the provision of Israeli funding by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, however you say that, Betty McCollum, Rashida Tlaib, uh, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, and Pramila Jayapal. This moved 
was dubbed by Republican lawmakers as yet another example of blatant anti-Israel bias on the part of the far-left Democrats. Why is this important? I'll tell you why. This is so important because the Bible clearly teaches, if you read it, and I actually just read this in Deuteronomy, I actually read it in Numbers, actually. You can read it in Psalms. That those, you know, who bless Israel and those who curse Israel will be cursed. If we are now not helping Israel protect themselves this way, well, you ain't seen nothing yet from God. I'm just saying, God's going to judge America even more because of this. And I know that that's probably not popular to say, but um, as a chosen woman person, which, you know, I am actually, <laughs> I will tell you that if you hate the Jews, you're hating God's chosen people. If you don't want to protect the Jews, then you're not wanting to protect God's people. As a Christian, your heritage is Hebrew. Just so you know, Hebrew, Jewish, it's the same thing. Um, so having the government of America, you know, basically say, hey, we're not going to help Israel anymore with this. Um, oh, okay, why? Because they want to destroy Israel. Now, here's the upside to this. And there really is no upside except this. The upside is when the whole world turns against Israel, okay, the Bible teaches this, when the whole world turns against Israel, guess what? Look up, because your redemption is drawing near. That's when Christ is going to come back to defend his people and, and wipe out the evildoers. So we know at some point, just like I keep saying, I know people hate it when I say it, but America's got to fall. The Antichrist is going to come to power. But at some point, if you look at the geopolitical stuff going on in the world, when the whole world turns against Israel, their only hope is for them to cry out for the Messiah. Many Jews believe today that their Messiah hasn't yet come yet. But the good news is that many Jews today also know that Yeshua, Jesus, is their Messiah and that he's coming back again. Um... So that's what we got to do. We got to look towards that. We got to remember that, you know, all these little pieces in the puzzle, they're all being put together. And God is just doing one thing here, one thing here, one thing here, one thing here. And we have an opportunity to participate if we take the time. So I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to get into the Word of God, read the Word of God, study the Word of God, get to know the Word of God. Hide the word of God in your heart. Treasure his word that you might not sin against God. Fall more in love with him. Uh, because I can tell you what, it's the only truth that you can hold on to that will never come back and bite you in the butt, for lack of a better way to put it. You know, people will tell you stuff and then they'll lie to you. You know, you, you, you've lied to somebody. I've lied to somebody, I'm sure, at some point, you know. But God's word never fails. It's true. Jesus himself called himself truth. Um, and so get into that intimate relationship with him. And part of the things that we do here at Bible News Radio, Heart Tug International, is we offer Bible studies every week. Uh, I have a Bible reading accountability group that I run three days a week in the morning. And I have a text message list that you can get on if you're somebody that struggles with reading the Bible and you want somebody to hold you accountable, then get on that. You know, the text, you can text Team Unstuck to 33222 and get on that list. You can text 33222 Bible News, text the word Bible News together and get on the text message where I tell you about stuff going on with the show and in our Daily Disciples Facebook group. 
Um, get on my email list. I'm trying to do more emails and get, keep you informed of what's going on in the show. We also have a podcast that I update occasionally throughout the week uh, when I get extra time to do that. Um, that's over on our Anchor page. Many of you are listening to it. I see you're listening to it because I'm seeing the downloads. Um, you know, when I don't have time to talk about more news, you know, we th- go ahead and I do a little audio podcast under 15 minutes. Throw that up on our Anchor page just as well as this audio is there. You okay, baby? My poor baby. My dog is. My dog turned eleven this week. <laughs> He's itching right now. But anyway, um, go ahead and uh, just tune into all that. And if you want to help us out financially with a gift, you can also donate over at hearttug.org, and um, you know, prayerfully consider doing that to help us get the word out more. All right, so Bearface, thank you for your bullhorn today, talking about the Word of God, super good, and as always for producing the show the way that you do, you do an excellent job, because the show would look super boring without all this other stuff that you've done, so just know we're a husband and wife team, and uh, this is our, our daily offering to God, so I hope it blessed you. We'll see you next week, or I'll see you in a Bible study this week. I got one coming up at 3 o'clock, like in about an hour and a half. So if you are on my text message list, you'll get an invite to come and join me in that. We're, we're going to finish Psalm 119 today. So hope to see you.